Um, welcome here, and w- this morning we're continuing our series following Jesus online, and I, just to give you a, a bit of a recap of where we've gone, uh, the, we started with the, with the title called Selfie, which we looked at uh, how we project our identity and our image online, we, uh, and how our identity should be formed more around uh, what God thinks of us and, and living out of that reality as sons and daughters of God. Uh, the next talk was entitled Leave a Comment, so we talked about conflict and, and how technology is really not the best avenue to deal with disagreements or uh, communication in general, and we should seek to be face-to-face, you know, one-on-one, if there's things that we need to um, you know, look at or talk about with others. Uh, we looked at browser history the third week and how what we look at, the things that we spend our time with, shape who we are. Uh, that our hearts are, uh, are the, our hearts are where our treasure is, and we can find out where our treasure is by looking at our browser history and figuring out where have we spent the most time, what are we looking at, what are we filling our heads and our hearts with. Last week we looked at social network, which looked at our relationships with other people, and uh, and how we need to embrace the messy reality of community, and it's actually community that helps shape us into the image of God, help makes us God's people. And today the title is, There's No App for That. And the reason that we're looking at this last is because I think it takes many of these ideas and actually brings them uh, together, and there, you'll, you'll hear some overlap this morning. But I want to I talk about Sabbath, and we're going to get there in a minute. How many of you guys... The first thing you do before you go to bed is look at your cell phone. Anybody? What about the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? How many of you guys look at the first thing you do when you wake up, you check out your cell phone? How many of you, you know, when you hear a sound, a, a ringtone, a, um, you know, a text message, can someone get that? Is that? Okay, right there, right there. How many of you guys touched your pockets when that sound came on? Confession. <laughs> Confession. How many of you guys talked, touched your pockets when that sound came on? Anybody? Put your hands up. Let's see you. <clears throat> A few of you guys, as soon as you heard that song, your, your instinct was to touch your pockets because you're not totally present right now, are you? Uh, how many of you guys do the pocket check when you leave in the morning? Pocket check, pocket, wallet, keys. Always got to check for the, sorry, the, the cell phone. Check for my, my pockets there. But uh, is my cell phone in my pocket? That's what I was getting at. <clears throat> so I got my pockets. See, we, we, live, we live in a world that makes it very, very difficult to be present. And this is unprecedented. Like the last 10 years, the having a communication device on our body or in our purse within a moment, that's never really happened before. There's this 24-7 pressure to be available, to be busy, to multitask in order to achieve and accomplish, to perform, to be available. 84% of cell phone users claim they could not go a single day without their device. 
67% of cell phone owners check their phone for messages, alerts, or calls even when they don't notice their phone ringing or vibrating. Studies indicate some mobile device owners check their devices every six and a half minutes. 88% of U.S. consumers, and these are U.S. stats, but I'm assuming our Canadian stats are similar, use mobile devices as a second screen even while watching television. And as a side note, out of a, out of a whole month period, we spend about six days in front of a TV. Almost half of self, cell owners have slept with their phone next to their bed because they wanted to make sure they didn't miss any calls. Some researchers have begun labeling cell phone checking as the new yawn because of its contagious nature. You ever notice when you check a cell phone, when the people you're with, they start checking their cell phones, and then all of a sudden, everybody's checking their phones. It's the new yawn. And in fact, there's a new phobia, a new fear that's, that's been, and we've chatted about this in the past, but called nomophobia, which is this fear from be, being connected to a mobile device. That it's... And that, it legitimately brings anxiety to many people not to have some form of mobile device in their reach. And we think, that's ridiculous. But when's the last time you're like, oh, where's my cell phone? You got, you're a nomophobe, I'm telling you. <laughs> See, there's this demand on us. There's this demand on our time. There's this demand on our availability. There's a demand on our ability to communicate, to produce to stay busy, and this is unique to us today, but it's not acute, or sorry, this is, it's acute for us today, but it's not unique only to this time. But this has happened uh, throughout all of history. Uh, in fact, even in Scripture, we go back to one of the earliest stories of the Israelites in, in the Exodus account, and we see that they can sympathize with us in Exodus 5, there's this story of the Israelites being slaves in Egypt, working under Pharaoh, having to produce bricks. And, you know, we're going to look at a passage here in a second, but just to, just to outline a couple of things to give you a feel for how this passage reads in Exodus 5. Um, Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. So the slave drivers and foremen went out and told the people, this is what the Pharaoh says, I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. Meet your daily quota of bricks just as you did when, you provided, when we provided you with straw. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today? So it's just like this ongoing rhetoric through Exodus 5. You can just hear it wearing down on the people. Build more. Stay busier. Don't let up. There's no rest. And you see, Pharaoh, he endlessly demanded more production. And so he would, get, uh, he would get the Israelites to make, make these bricks, and they would make, uh, you know, they're not exactly like this. They're similar to these bricks. Um, I'm trying to get rid of these bricks, so if anybody wants some bricks, I got a bunch at my house, given to you at a good discount. Um, but they would, there'd be pressure to make these bricks, and they would take, 
you know, the, the clay and the silt from around the Nile, and they would, they would put them in these, uh, these square forms, and they would make them into square bricks, and then they would put the next one in square form. They do this over and over and over again every day, trying to create more bricks so that Pharaoh could create uh, more buildings, more pyramids, so that he could store more goods. And so they built and they stored. And, and, and as they built more, as they stored more, there was this, uh, it has this accumulating effect, right? That the more that they accomplished, the more the, the, the kingdom of Egypt, so to speak, was built, the more pressure there was to keep building. The more Pharaoh became famous, the more powerful he became, the more goods they acquired, the more buildings they needed to hold the grains that they're requiring. And so you can see as Egypt is growing in its power and its fame that the Israelites became busier and busier and busier. There was no let up. Pharaoh was a hard-nosed product manager for whom production schedules were inexhaustible. We still make bricks today, don't we? I mean, we, we don't make them out of the mud and the clay. But we're still making bricks. We're balancing budget. We're making sales, checking stocks, trading commodities, building projects, doing laundry, cleaning the house, communication, communicating with clients, writing emails, making texts, building Excel documents, doing research, going to soccer practice. We're still making bricks. And this background story, uh, this, is, this is the background story to uh, the Ten Commandments, which many of you are probably familiar with, but the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, God delivers the Israelites from slavery. Uh, he partners with Moses and Aaron, and together through these signs and wonders, God brings the people out of slavery and into the desert. And it's in the desert where Moses, their leader, goes up on Mount Sinai. Moses comes down with the law, the Torah, in which the Ten Commandments were part of. And the Ten Commandments begin, Exodus 22, with saying, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And so you need to understand that slavery is the backdrop. God, Yahweh, as his name is uh, in the Old Testament, Yahweh responds to the cries of the people of Israel and he takes them out of slavery and he begins these Ten Commandments with, remember your slavery. I am the God who brought you out of that slavery. And now I want you to live differently. And so he gives these Ten Commandments, and Commandments 1 through 3, have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. No other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't make gods. Uh, and don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I want you to take my name and my reality seriously. And then you have the, the Sabbath command, which we'll come to in a second. And then commandments 5 through 10, you have honor your father and mother, <clears throat> don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. So these 10 commandments 
formed the people of God. And uh, there's two interpretive traditions in the Torah itself. You have Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So uh, just allow me to get nerdy here for a second. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Leviticus is the, the priestly kind of interpretation or working out of the reality of the Torah. So it is concerned with holiness. It is concerned with uh, morality. It's concerned with right living before God, that, that the people of God would be a pure people. They would be set apart because God is set apart. They would be holy. Uh, you know, Yahweh says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. That the focus of Leviticus, the holiness, the purity, the set-apartness of the people of God. And then you have the interpretation of the Torah uh, in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy's focus is actually on justice. That as the people of God, you look after orphans and widows and immigrants. And these themes of holiness and justice ring throughout your whole Bible. In fact, if you look at your prophetic books, the, you know, the last part of your Old Testament, the two things that, they're, that the prophet after prophet after prophet is concerned with is the holiness of Israel, the justice of Israel, them, them being a people of justice looking after the orphan, the widow, the immigrant. And so rabbis, commentators have noted that the first three commandments, love the Lord your God, don't make idols, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, really are about holiness. They're really about the relationship of God and his people and his people being holy and set apart for God. The commandments six through, or five through ten, the last six commandments, are about justice. Honor father, mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. And these themes of holiness and justice ring throughout your Bible. And then in the middle, you have this commandment on Sabbath. And I would say that the Sabbath commandment is the middle of the holiness justice sandwich. It brings in these themes of holiness and justice together. It says this, Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You have six days each week to do your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So the Sabbath made sure that the Israelite people, the people of God, were set apart from other nations because it was one day a week that they didn't work while other, other nations were working. It was one day a week that they committed to being completely present with each other and present with God. It was one day a week when the hierarchy of you know, the social classes, economic classes, was actually neutral. Everybody became equal. You, know, you can read it in, there, in, the, in the passage here. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, male and female servants, your livestock. Everybody's the same on that day. Your pets, your kids, the parents, everybody is equal. 
And so it's set apart. It's, it, it brings in these themes of holiness, but also brings in the theme of justice. And the, the Sabbath marked the people of God because the people of God were about holiness and justice. So I just want a couple of points that I'm going to make on Sabbath, Sabbath this morning, that Sabbath identifies us as Yahweh's people. Sabbath was an identifier for those people that were Yahweh's people, that they were God's people. And in fact, you get to the New Testament and um, Jesus sums up the law and the prophets. The, your Old Testament, he sums them up with two commandments. What are those two commandments? Love the Lord your God, holy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. G, what, what are those two commandments really about? It's about holiness and justice. That, that Jesus looks into the Old Testament, he sees holiness, a right relationship with God, loving God, a heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're set apart, we love him. And justice, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus makes it even a little bit more simpler for us. Sabbath is intrinsically linked to our love of God and our love of neighbor. And Jesus says the task of his followers, the task of a Christian is not to make bricks, but the task of the Christian is a relationship with God and neighbor. The Sabbath identifies us as God's people. Second point I want to make, that Sabbath allows us to rest. The Sabbath allows us to rest. And you can see even right in the passage in Exodus 20, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So God rests on the seventh day in the creation account. You can read that beginning of Genesis 2. And we often think of rest as, you know, resting from work. And I would ask, you know, was God tired after he created the world? I don't know if he was tired. I don't think he was tired. But he rested. And I think he set a rhythm that he knew that we would need. We're created in his image. He set a rhythm for us to follow. So part of, part of the picture of rest, I, I believe, is, you know, our us stopping work. But I think there's more to that than that. You know, my, my kids love Lego. And so we got so much Lego in our house. You know, you know, and I love Christmas and birthdays for the most part, but as a parent, I hate it when my kids get Lego. I hate it. Why? Because it means that my whole day, I'm going to spend building Lego. Christmas Day, that's like the last half a dozen years, that's what marks my Christmas Day is building Lego. Birthdays, build Lego. And it's not that I mind building Lego. You know, I, I spend this a lot of time, and, and, and the older they get, the more complex they get. They, you know, they got, anyways, won't get into it. Uh, they got all sorts of crazy Legos now. Um, but I've seen it over and over again where I spend the whole day building Lego, and, you know, I can't wait to finally finish it. And sometimes my kids help me build it, you know, maybe for, <laughs> you know, five minutes or so, and then they're like, ah, thanks, Dad. Let me know when it's done. Uh, and so I'm building this Lego, and then I finish it, and they come, oh, it's so cool. Thanks, Dad. I'm like, aren't you going to play with it? It sits on their dresser. And it, you go into my house, you have like all these Lego pieces sitting on dressers and on counters, and do they ever play with it? 
Not really. I, you know, sorry, I'm wondering what the point of Lego is if you don't play with it, but that's, it might just be me. The, but this idea of resting from work is not just about finishing, not just about finishing the Lego, it's actually about enjoying what was built. In fact, there's one, uh, there's one scholar who makes a convincing case that when in the creation story in Genesis 2, when it talks about God resting from his work, it's not just talking about stopping work, but it's talking about rest in the, in the way that we would understand rest in Psalm 132, verse 14. It says, this is my resting place forever, he said. I will live here for this is the home I desired. That God resting on the seventh day is not just about God stopping work, but it's about God making himself at home. We know that phrase, make yourself at home. What does that, what does that mean when we say, you know, when we say it to people, make yourself at home. Treat this as if it was your home. Asterix, don't go in my bedroom, the basement, or the closet, but stay in this area. <laughs> but God wants to make himself at home. And for, for, for the Jewish people, they would have understood the, the seven days of creation as, um, and this is what the scholar was saying, the seven steps to building a temple. And what was the point of the temple? The point of the temple was actually to house the presence of God. But I think we actually got it backwards. The point of the world was to house the presence of God. The point of the temple was to look forward to what God actually always intended to make himself at home in the world. So rest equals rejuvenation. That's true. Stop work, be rejuvenated. But rest also equals making yourself at home. God's not a workaholic. God actually takes the time to enjoy what he built. God's not anxious. God does not believe that the full function of creation depends on his own endless work. Sabbath allows us to rest. Sabbath, uh, third point, is that when you rest, those under you can rest. It's, it's interesting when you think about the, the picture of a pyramid I think it's a great picture of Egypt because this pyramid basically is a symbol of this top-down world. You know, Pharaoh didn't rest. Why didn't Pharaoh rest? Because the gods of, there's multiple gods in Egypt. They never rested. They were never satisfied. There was all, always more that had to be done. The Egyptians always had to do more. And because they always had to do more, because Pharaoh always had to do more, obviously his taskmasters, his leaders never rested and those Israelite slaves at the bottom, they definitely never rested because they were the ones that were making all the bricks to make the whole thing work. That when you rest, those under you can rest. So isn't it significant that Yahweh, that the God of creation, actually rests? And if He is our God, if He's our Lord it gives permission for everyone under him to rest. You know, when I was preparing for this sermon a couple weeks ago and I was watching this, you know, fascinating TED video, um, I contemplated just playing it here on Sunday. It would have been much easier for me. Um, but this psychologist, sociologist, uh, was basically talking about the amount of time that parents are on their computers, on their cell phones, 
in the home. And talking about the effects that that has and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching this video and <laughs> my son Joel starts laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? So what's, what's funny is like, Dad, that's totally you. <laughs> and I, I, I got all defense. I'm like, it is not. I'm not on my computer, on my cell phone all the time. He's like, Dad. I'm like, and then so, I, so I, start, I start kind of arguing with him a little bit. I said, well, I'm not on my devices as much as you play video games. I said this to him. And I said, let's make a deal. The amount of time that I'm on my phone is the amount of time that you'll get. They get to play video games only on weekends, but the amount of time that you get to play video games on the weekend. And Luke's like, no way, no, no, I'm not doing that. And then Joel's like, huh. He's trying to calculate the math in his head. How much time does Dad actually? And, uh, and, and so here's me getting defensive. Uh, and I realize that I am the head of my home. I am Pharaoh, so to speak, in my world, in my family. Uh, and if I don't rest, my kids don't rest. If I create a culture of always being connected to a device, then that culture infiltrates my, ho my house. If your boss is a workaholic, how does that affect you? And for you parents in the room, if you're always connected to your devices, you know, don't be surprised when your kids aren't that present with you. That when we rest, it actually gives permission for those under us and around us to rest. In Amos, uh, the small prophetic book in your Old Testament, it, in Amos 8, 4 to 5, it says this. It says, hear this. You who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? When will the Sabbath end that we may market wheat? And Amos talks about how God is frustrated with the people of Israel because they are faking the Sabbath. That they're doing the Sabbath, you know, we got the Sabbath, but in their minds they're like, when can we get back to marketing the wheat? When can I get back to work? I'm dreaming of making bricks. That the Israelite people were multitasking on the Sabbath. And that multitasking actually did not enable them to be present with God and with others. See, Sabbath says yes to being present. And it says no to multitasking. There was an American abolitionist uh, named Harriet Tubman, and she, she escaped slavery and subsequently made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved families and friends. 
And then she was quoted in saying this, I freed a thousand slaves, and I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. Do you find yourself, when you go to bed at night, dreaming of the bricks that you have to make tomorrow? Do you find yourself reflecting and thinking about all the bricks that you did that day? Or thinking about the ones that you made that were flawed that you have to go and fix tomorrow? Is it possible that we're slaves and we don't even know it? And if we're slaves and we're, we're busy and we're worried about producing and always being available and connected and responding and emailing and texting and... I would just ask, who's your God? I ask that question to myself as I'm preparing the sermon. Who, who's really my God? Because I'm sure functioning like an, an Egyptian slave, endlessly trying to produce bricks and work and be available and responding, and, and that's not... Yahweh, that's not Jesus. Because if, if, if I actually worshipped the God of the Bible, if I actually am a follower of Jesus, then I have permission to rest because Jesus isn't a slave master. He's not a taskmaster. So I would, I would put that question, who is your God? Is this the new Pharaoh? Some of you are so busy you don't even know what to do. You don't even know how to respond. You don't even know how to change the pace. In 1 Kings 19, there's, a, there's the story of Elijah. You know, he's tired and weary and needs, needs a word from God. And God says, hey, go to the mouth of the cave. I'm going to speak to you. And he goes to the mouth of the cave. There's this crazy wind. And then the text says that God wasn't in the wind. Then there's this earthquake. It says God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there's this fire. And it says that God wasn't in the fire. And it says there's a still, small voice. And God spoke to him in a still, small voice. And some translators say that um, God was in the sound of sheer silence. What's the noise level in your life? Are you running around looking for God in the earthquakes, the wind, the fire? Are you running around feeling like a slave? Do you feel that God is distant? Do you wish that God's voice and his presence would be louder in your life? Is there a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our ability to hear God, to be present with God? be present with people? Do you wish you were more connected with others? Luke 5, 16 talks about how Jesus went away to a lonely place and he prayed, and this was like his regular practice. I don't think Jesus brought a cell phone with him. I know he didn't, but I don't think he would either if he was practicing that same rhythm today. Is it possible that you've been waiting for God's voice in the wind, the earthquake, and the fires, but he's waiting to speak to you in sheer silence? That instead of sheer silence, you're filling time with more apps, 
with another TV series, another Netflix show, another whatever, another email to respond to? What would it look like for us to actually embrace Sabbath? And I said to somebody this week, we're talking about Sabbath and, and uh, the idea of people like turning off their devices for a day. He's like, that's a great idea, except nobody will do it. I'm like, why, why can't we do it? And if I said to you, turn off your device for a whole day, you would give me a whole list of reasons why you can't turn off your device. I know I would. I don't, like, even as I'm saying this, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. But what if we, as God's people, chose to be identified by Sabbath, by holiness, by justice, by setting ourselves apart to be present with Him and with others? And I think one of the biggest barriers in our world to doing that today is our cell phones. We don't know how to be without them. So what would it look like for us to rediscover sacred time and sacred space? Instead of the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, grabbing your cell phone, first of all, don't put your cell phone by your bed. That's what I do. I, gotta, I have to stop doing this. Put it somewhere else that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do isn't check your cell phone. Take a chunk of your time have a sacred time and sacred space that you can connect with God, that you can be present with Him before you even check your emails or texts or calendar for the day. What would it look like to take a Sabbath? And it doesn't have to be Sunday. For me, it's often on a Monday. But to say, this is my day that's set apart to be present with God and to be present with others. And I want so badly to be present that I'm not going to turn on my cell phone. I want so badly to connect with God and others that I'm going to disconnect from technology. We need to rediscover sacred time and sacred spaces. And, uh, and I know some of you guys think that that's an impossible task, but I would just ask, are, how is it working for you? Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you overworked? Do you find that you don't have enough time in the day? God says the answer is not actually to try and do more, but to take a break. And what would it mean for our kids and our families and our friends that we actually chose their presence over being not present because of my phone? Even if I chose not, even if I sit at, the, at my kitchen table and my phone rings, even if I try not to check it, my mind already leaves. Because in my head, I'm like, okay, don't check it. Be present. Don't ch- and I'm already gone. I'm already gone. You, you, you have that with coffee with your friends. You don't, you don't want to check your phone. It's like, I'm going to be present. And, you're, and as soon as you're thinking about being present and not responding to the text, you're not actually present anymore. We've got to get rid of our phones. We've got to turn them off. We, we, I think our health, but our relationship with others, our relationship with God is dependent on us silencing the noise. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to invite you to stand. Yahweh said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And here's the gospel story that Jesus came to rescue us from being slaves so that we could be sons and daughters of God. 
and that God desires us to live this rhythm of work and rest, for us to be a community of individuals that value holiness and justice, to be a community of individuals that love God and love others. But for some reason, we still love to choose slavery. And maybe this morning it's about making a hard choice and there's a very practical side to this of saying, I'm going to create sacred time and sacred space. I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I'm committed to do it. You can even tell your friend, tell a spouse that we need to rediscover Sabbath. And Jesus says that Sabbath was created for man, not man for Sabbath. And what he was saying is Sabbath is not about becoming slave, a slave all over again. You're not a slave to Sabbath. Sabbath is actually your slave. It exists to serve you. So, so don't get into this religious thinking of, okay, it's got to look like this, this, or this. I, I don't think God really cares what Sabbath looks like. He just cares about your presence. And so what does it look like for you to be present with him, to be present with others? So God, we, in, we just invite you into this time and space right now that you would speak, that we would be available to you and your leading. I personally say sorry and ask for forgiveness for the many times I'm not present with you or my wife or my kids or my friends. Lord, we as a community just say sorry for how we have allowed ourselves to be distracted from the main thing. That you're calling a people to yourself that are marked by holiness and justice, by love of God and love of neighbor. And God, I think there's some very specific things in each of our lives that are preventing us from embracing that type of reality. So God, we don't want to be slaves anymore. We don't want to be slaves to to making bricks, so to speak. Uh, And so we thank you that you give us permission to rest, to take a break and to make ourselves at home and then to enjoy the world around us. Amen. In Matthew eleven twenty to 30, it's Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden for you is light. The word weary there, come to me all you who are weary, is like this, it's this word that is ongoing. Come to me all you who are just tired of the regular grind of life. You're tired of just making bricks. Come. All who are weary, but also all that carry heavy burdens. And that, and that word is, describes this Um, something that's happened in the past that's still affecting you today. All of you who are carrying a burden of something long ago that you've never actually taken off. And I will give you rest. I'll, I'll give you a break. But I won't just give you a break. I'll actually help you to make yourself at home and enjoy life. Take my yoke upon you. And it's this image of, you know, bulls, they had these wooden uh, things that would go around their necks that they called yokes. And it's like Jesus is saying, this is, this is the work I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is the, the direction that 
that I'm heading, and I invite you to come alongside of me. And it doesn't mean there's not work, but my yoke is easier to bear, and my burden is light. And if you come with me, you'll actually find rest for your soul. That there's a rhythm of Sabbath that Jesus is inviting us to walk with him in. And you don't have to. But he put it in place for you. So I would encourage you to to think ruthlessly about the sacred time and space in your life. That if you find that I'm not feeling connected to others and I'm not feeling connected to God, uh, there's probably too much noise in your life. And one of the most practical ways that we get rid of noise in our lives right now is actually remove ourselves from phones, computers, iPads, the things that take us out of being present in a moment. So um, I, I want to sing, actually, the chorus again, Neil, in a second as we close, but um, just to remind you, the Covenant Community Meeting directly after this. Um, so because of that time crunch, if you wouldn't mind helping tear down, that'd be awesome. Uh, and also serve day next week. If you have an idea or need to be connected, please see the Welcome Center. But if that's you this morning, if you are weary, if you're carrying burdens, don't you just want to rest? And that's the invitation of God. That's the invitation of Jesus. And you're like, you just feel so connected to these bricks. You're like, I don't know how I'd let go of these bricks. But if you could do it, wouldn't that be so life-giving? Uh, there's prayer teams available to my right, your left, and also in the hallway if you'd like anybody to pray with you about anything you're feeling going on in your heart. It could be about this, it could be about anything. Um, those teams are here every week just to bless you and encourage you. You don't even need to share details with them. Uh, sometimes people just come and say, you know, I can't say anything, but I just need prayer. Um, and so please take advantage of that. Um, Neil, would you lead us in the song as we close? Uh, and just the, let's sing that chorus a couple of times. If we could sing with just our voices. There's something to me about just singing with our voices that I love because it's like this, um, we're not just individuals, we're we're a people, and we respond as a corporate people to God. And so, Neil, if you could lead us, us in that a couple times, and then uh, when we're done singing, you're free to go. Let me just pray and bless you before Neil does that. Father, thank you for each person here. We thank you that you are a God of rest, that you are not a slave master, but you're our heavenly Father who is good and perfect and knows how to give good, good gifts to your kids. And so, God, I, I pray that we would just receive that gift. We would receive that rest. And sometimes receiving is actually a practical response of making space and time to receive it. And I pray that we would be a people marked by holiness and justice, by love of God, by love of people. And Lord, that we would recognize that you instituted Sabbath to ensure that those things take root in our lives. You are our God, not Pharaoh not our boss. You are God. And Lord, we want to live in response to your lordship in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.